With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm Henry Chisholm, and I'm not alone today. We actually have Ben Girding, the DNVR Buffs intern, uh, who does a bunch of other things at DNVR as well. You've been reading all of his takeaways from the basketball games. Um, he's on the phone talking with us about the Buffs, and we have a super fun show planned today. How's it going, Ben? It's going good. I'm really excited to jump on the pod today. Uh, we've been talking about our topic for today's pod for a while now, and so we finally hit a sweet spot where we can jump in and do it, and I'm excited to share with the listeners. Yeah, uh, you guys are going to be hearing a lot more from Ben going forward. Uh, he's back in Ohio right now where he lives because it's winter break at the University of Colorado, but when he gets back, we're going to be doing a bunch of fun stuff, and it won't be over the phone, which is going to be fun. Um, so the plan for today is that we're going to go through our awards for the first half of the season through the non-conference schedule uh, for the men's basketball team. Uh, really excited. Get to dig into a bunch of these players, break them down, and that's pretty much all we're going to be doing today. But before we get into that, Ben, I have a really important question for you. What's that? Do you watch The Bachelor? I don't actually. I feel uh, like everyone at DNVR does and I need to jump on that bandwagon. Seriously, you do. Seriously, you do. I'm so excited. I spent all morning like, so So I think it comes back next week, early next week. Um, and Peter, I've been told that I'm kind of a Peter, uh, is is the, the Bachelor this time. And so I was reading through all their bios of the women this morning. It's incredible. This season's going to be so much fun and you definitely need to get in on this. Absolutely. I'll jump in. I actually, one of my dreams is to be a contestant on, actually, I want to be on The Bachelor, not The Bachelorette. Bachelorette's the one where there's like a whole bunch of guys competing for the one girl. I want to be on the other one. That way the choices are easier. Exactly. And I feel like if if I'm like competing, then all of a sudden I would not be like super into the girl. I'd just be trying to win, you know? Right. Right. And like, I'd rather be able to like weed out the people who are trying to win. Have you ever thought about going on The Bachelor, Ben? I can't say that I've thought about it, but with the thought in front of me now, I think it's a wonderful opportunity. Exactly. I mean, 
Tinder can only get you so far, but if you exactly. get on the show, you get, you know, how many girls in front of you to just choose from. There's absolutely no way it could go wrong. I know. It's perfect. And like you get to actually like talk to them instead of just like reading a bio. Yeah. Plus and going I, through the awkward introductory phase of exactly how old are you? Yeah. What are your hobbies? Like you understand really like that far. We're all there for like the same reason. It's perfect. Um, right. Super excited. We're definitely gonna have to talk about that on the podcast, especially with you as a first time viewer of The yeah. Bachelor. I'm <laughs> my new so homework excited. at DNVR, right? Exactly. The and watch The Bachelor. Exactly. I'll give you my login if you need it. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Um, let's just jump into these awards now. Um, let's start at the very top with McKinley Wright. Ben, what was the award you gave McKinley? I think it's not going to surprise anybody. I had to give McKinley Wright my most valuable player award just because, uh, well, quite honestly, it was kind of tight in the beginning of the year because I kind of had this idea to write at least an article about these midseason awards. And when we finally got the chance to do the podcast and sit down and look at it, first half of the season, it'd be hard pressed for me not to give it to Tyler Bay. But I think in particular, when you look at the Dayton game primarily and how McKinley Wright just absolutely took over with 26 points, he was the catalyst of that offense and the energy that the team needed. I think that game is why I choose him as most valuable player because that game against Dayton is a, a bigger telltale sign of what we're going to see from these buffs moving into conference play. Tyler Bay took over, and he's a great player. I don't want to take anything away from him, but he took over against a lot of lesser teams, but you saw against Dayton and Kansas, those big teams really did their best to size up against Tyler Bay because they have the better recruits and the better athleticism. So McKinley Wright, on the other hand, he lets the game dictate what style of play he's going to have. And I wrote that about that in my last takeaways article from the game against Iona. But he really, he's so versatile that he lets the pace of the game dictate how he's going to play, whether he's going to take over and drop 26 against Dayton or whether he's going to throw 10 assists against a lower opponent such as Iona. I think he's so versatile. He controls this team, and that's why I give him most valuable player. Yeah, and I, I gave him the MVP as well. And honestly, my thought process was about the same, you know, through the first maybe uh, first half of this half, like the first quarter of the season, it would have been really hard not to give it to Tyler Bay. You know, he, he was up there in like the Ken Palm player rankings. He was a top five player in the country. But then he kind of fell off starting with the Kansas game. And meanwhile, McKinley is still running the show on offense. Even when Tyler's scoring a lot of the time, Ken's getting him the ball and again, for me, it was that Dayton game. That was the difference because even though I don't want to like wait one game more than the others, like say that the Dayton game is more important than any of the others, I think mm -hmm. that even though Tyler was playing incredible basketball for so much of the season so far, you take him out of most of those wins, the Buffs still win those games. You know, they're, they're still going to beat... Colorado State, even if Tyler Bay doesn't play well. UC Irvine, San Diego. You know, the Buffs are winning most of these games pretty handily. That Dayton game without McKinley Wright, I think Colorado loses by 15 points. Mm -hmm. And and I, I really do think that, you know, without Tyler Bay, this team, maybe there's another loss in there somewhere. Maybe they aren't sitting here at what? Are they... 10 and 2 now 11 11 and two 11 now. and 2 yep um you know they, they aren't sitting here at 11 and 2 without tyler bay they're probably sitting at 10 and 3 maybe 
But mm-hmm. without McKinley Wright, I, I think that they might only have seven, eight wins, even though McKinley still isn't playing his best basketball. Uh, I do want to say, though, Tyler against Dayton was still very important, even though he wasn't Absolutely. like McKinley Wright. He was going up against Obi Toppin, one of the best college basketball players in the country, and deserves some props for that, even if he didn't like stuff the stat sheet the way McKinley did. It's not like he was non-existent, and he did play a very significant part in that game. For um, sure. And just and just to kind of conclude that too, the the stat that actually really helped me decipher between Wright and Bay was actually turnovers. And that's because McKinley Wright and Tyler Bay have the same amount of turnovers. Now that's important because McKinley Wright has the ball in his hands every single possession, whereas Tyler Bay is mostly down on the block. And so the the reason I bring that up is Bay does not have the same playmaking ability that McKinley Wright has. I think Tyler Bay feeds off of the players around him, and that's when we see the spectacular dunks and the athletic plays on the baseline. But the fact is, if they had to run the offense specifically through Tyler Bay, I think the team would have a much different outlook, and the season would be not totally different since the competition hasn't been spectacular thus far. But I think there would be a concern that, you know, moving into conference play, if Tyler Bay was the one kind of driving the boat, there would be a little concern of how they'd match up. And I think just to, again, conclude on McKinley Wright, the one thing we need to see from him moving into conference play, he's got to bump up that three-point percentage. Right now he's sitting at 27.3%, which isn't awful, but you want to be able to see him take smart shots. A lot of times he'll size up, he'll one-on-one with the defender, and then he'll pull up from three, which really isn't his game. I'd love when he does that move to instead dribble into the paint and either take the layup or pass it off to Batty and Bay and let them get that. Because I think that's a lot of where that percentage drops is not necessarily from him missing open threes, but him taking ill-advised shots. Yeah, yeah, I I agree as well. I think the key for McKinley, especially in this little upswing we've seen lately, it's been that he's trying to get to the basket. You know, more than more than anything, it's it's when he is in attack mode because he really is a great scorer. He's one of the best scorers in the Pac-12 and that's what teams are really scared of. You know, that's that's how you get them to overcommit, to open up those passing lanes, to get the easy assists. It almost seemed like he was overpassing early on. He was trying to be a distributor. He he wasn't trying to get to the rim nearly as much. When he does put his head down, get to the basket, that's what opens everything up. That's what gets people to sag off of him at the three-point line and get him some open looks. I've, I, I very much agree that you need him to be a better three-point shooter, um, especially if you want to be making an NCAA tournament run. I think mm-hmm. that McKinley Wright, if, if, if all he can do is drive to the basket, defend, um, distribute, kind of run the office, offense, I, I think that you could still make a run at the Pac-12 title game. I don't think you need him to be a great three-point shooter. But if when you get to the NCAA tournament, he's shooting 40% from three in the tournament, then you're talking about how this team could really do something special because that's, that's like that last little piece of his game that makes him essentially unguardable. Mm-hmm. And we've we've seen him look better recently too, you know. Iona, he was three of four. That Dayton game, I mean, that was the only knock on him in the Dayton game is that he was one of eight from three. Still right. shot forty-five percent from the field, though. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's it's it's not like he's a bad shooter. You just don't need to see him throwing up eight threes. Um right. but it does seem like at least over the last two, three weeks. It, things have improved for him. You're not seeing him just not contributing anything from outside. Um, is there anything else you really want to see him improve upon as we go into conference play? 
other than the three pointing or three point shooting, I think it it just really needs to be consistency. Like we've talked about, we've seen a nice kind of upswing in him, uh, both statistically and just on the eye test in the last two three games, and that can either be um, one of two things. It can either be him just having a few really good games, or it could be him finally coming into his own this season. A lot. I mean, there was a ton of hype around him going into the offseason. There's a ton of hype around everybody. It seems like a lot of people are on those watch lists. But it takes guys sometimes a little bit longer to find their groove and a new kind of offense. Um, these players have been together a while, while and they're gelling, and so McKinley was able to kind of lean on a few other guys. But, I mean, this matchup on Thursday, which we'll get into later, I really am excited to see how he does because I think his performance is going to strongly dictate the outcome. So if he can maintain what he's been doing consistently, and again, that doesn't mean he has to drop 25 points a night or 15 assists a night. It's him deciding what kind of player he needs to be. So against Oregon, if they need a score and he goes out and drops 20 and they win, that's what he can do. Or if they need him to just pass on the blocks because Bay and Batty are having a great day, it'll be that. So if he can just stay consistent, continue to let the game dictate how he plays, I think, again, the sky's the limit for what he can do moving into conference play. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. And I do think, I mean, we've seen it in the NBA. We've seen it in college basketball and high school basketball. So much of being a good basketball team is just based on the point guard. You know, it, it might not be the same as like the quarterback's importance in football or a pitcher's importance in baseball, but I do think it's undervalued. Um, you know, it, it seems like in high school, especially, it's it's the best point guard in the state that ends up winning the state title more mm. often than not. And that happens in college too, because you don't see guys like Nikola Jokic or LeBron James or uh Luka Doncic, guys who are like these these great athletes, your best players, who are also able to run the offense themselves from a forward spot. Right. In college, it's very much point guard dictated. It, they run the offense. Everything flows through them. And that's why McKinley Wright, I mean, he has to be the most valuable player. If he's not, then this team isn't going to live up to its potential you know, you, you just can't see games like he had against Colorado State when he only put up two points. You know, sure, they still win. That's what's important. But that game was pretty close with a couple minutes left. And a lot of the reason why is because McKinley went 1 of 11 from the field. Only had mm-hmm. three assists. It's it's just games like that that he needs to weed out. And it's almost like a Steven Montez type thing. And... Again, I I don't want to like make people mad with that comparison, but because the quarterback is the most important position in football, if if he has a bad game, the team loses. That's just the right. way it works. And McKinley Wright doesn't have as many bad games as Steven Montez had this season, but it's the same concept where you just need consistency out of that position. And I'm confident in McKinley to get everything totally straightened out. And and he's had a few very good games back to back to back with Iona, Dayton, Prairie View. Um, yeah, I mean, five of seven against Iona, 10 of 22 against Dayton, and four of five against Prairie View. Like, that's just very efficient scoring. He's not throwing the ball up. Meanwhile, he's averaging six assists per game over that stretch. That's, mm-hmm. that's a pretty good spot for him to be. Um, let's move along, though. Let's move along to... Uh, Tyler Bay. What award did you give him? I gave Tyler Bay defensive player um, of not really the year of, of the midseason awards because of just his utter dominance in the post. 
He leads the team in blocks and in steals, which I think is the steals part you might not think because of a forward. You're probably going to think a guard, someone in the front court is going to lead that category. But he just really dominates down low on the post. He's been very efficient. He also leads, or I'm sorry, second in the team in uh, field goal percentage behind the other uh, backcourt player with Batty. So he's just, he's doing everything he needs to do down on the block dictating the pace and also although he's only six foot seven his length really presents a a, a troubling spot for opposing um, teams to try and scheme against and that another perfect example is against Dayton Obi Toppin dropped 17 points in Dayton which seems pretty high compared to all the other teams they've played but that was the second lowest scoring output of Obi Toppin of the season so far he is a player that's averaging upwards of 24, 25 points a game, and we were able to hold him to 17 points because you had Tyler Bay, as well as Evan Batty, but mostly Tyler Bay really switching on him and trying to control him. He is just a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, I agree. Defensive player is definitely a good award for him. That's the award I gave him. And I think that, especially on a team like Colorado, being the key defensive piece is even more important because it's it's a defensive basketball team you know it's it's not like he's out there shutting down his guy and everybody else is you know running free and he's it's, it's kind of like here's an analogy like in football when you have a good cornerback uh that's great and it's very important but if your other cornerback isn't any good the other team just isn't going to throw it to that side of the field Mm-hmm. What makes Tyler Bay even more valuable to this team is that it's such a good defensive team. And when you can have him take away whoever the other team's best offensive threat is, it just makes it so much easier for the rest of these guys to fit in. And really, I mean, this game against Iona, I was talking about it yesterday, you know, 54 points, that may feel like. A, a, a just pretty standard performance against a team of Iona's caliber. You know, they're not a Power 5 school. They made the NCAA tournament last year, but it's because they're a conference champion at a, in a pretty small conference. They still are known for putting up big points. It's always been the defense that hasn't worked out. Um, the, the notes packet that Iona gives out, like that's what they're flexing on the whole time is how they're consistently one of the highest scoring teams in the country. To hold... Iona to 54 is actually pretty impressive. More impressive than putting up 99, if I'm being totally honest, because that's just the style of basketball that Iona always plays. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's these defensive performances that we're seeing out of this team that are getting underrated. Um, that's really the key for this team. And I almost gave Tyler Bay, I called it the future MVP award, because I thought that he would kind of be that most valuable player going forward because the defense is such a huge factor on this team and because he has the ability to take over offensively as well. I just can't like totally project that for him because, you know, the turnovers, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of just that basketball IQ. And I don't even know that it's entirely his fault that offensively, at least like if you're looking at the advanced stats, like that kind of stuff, he's fallen off over the last few weeks. He hasn't been quite as dominant. Most of that's just because the team isn't putting him in the situations that he's supposed to be in. You know, he's he's trying to post up. He's dribbling the ball too much. If you just let him be like Shaq, you know, just, just, just let yeah. him be the big guy, like the athletic guy who you just can't stop in the paint, throw him some lobs, 
let him cut, get to the rim. You know, he, he should be dominant. And I wanted to say, like, he is the MVP of the second half. Like, that's that's what I'm expecting from him. But until I'm confident that that's how this offense is actually going to run, then uh, I can't give him that, even though I do think that his defensive performance might even be more valuable than McKinley's offensive performance and puts him in that MVP conversation. And I, and I think another thing with Bay too is just his dominance on the boards, particularly on the defensive boards. He leads the team in defensive rebounds. He's averaging 9.8 rebounds per game, which again leads the team. It's just it's another aspect that we touched on it a lot in the beginning of the season when he's averaging double doubles. But that dominance on the boards is something that could fade away when you see a Deshaun Schwartz buzzer beater. You're not realizing the fact that yeah, in that Dayton game, Tyler Bay was really actually stuffing the stat sheet pretty well. I mean, he only had six rebounds, but it was the amount of rebounds that the team as a whole was getting wasn't necessarily that high either. So I just think it, he he brings a whole package to the defensive side of the ball with the presence, the blocking, the steals, being able to box out and get the rebounds. It's it's hard pressed to give it to anybody else. Yeah, and and it's frustrating to see the turnovers that this offense is still struggling with. You know, it's definitely getting better. I, I think the numbers have been cut down. Maybe not... I, I mean, they, it seems like they've been cut down by like one or two per game consistently, but then you throw in a game like uh, Prairie View where there really aren't that many at all. Even though the turnovers are still a problem, and Tyler Bay, like you said, is... Uh, I think he is tied with McKinley Wright for the most turnovers on the team despite not being the primary ball handler like again like I said I I think that they're putting him in some bad situations but the point I want to make here is that he makes up for those defensively because he has I mean he has multiple four steal games he has four steals four steals six steals three steals like like he is all over taking the ball back and that balances it out. Plus, you have like the, the four-block game against Clemson. You know the the defensive performance. That's what's really making this basketball team what it is. Um, that's why this team is. They've they've only lost two games. It's because of the defense. That's why I think that they can make an NCAA tournament run because that's kind of their identity. They're gritty. Sure, the offense might make some mistakes. But what they want to do is get you down to the final seconds of the game, make it a close game, no matter who you are, and then make a play late. You know, that's what good defensive teams do, and I think that we've seen that. Now that we've seen them do exactly that against a good Dayton team, I totally believe that that is the formula for this team going forward. Still, you want to, like, cut down the turnovers, you want the offense to pick up, all that kind of stuff, but... You already have an identity. You just need to see how far you can grow. And so much of that identity is based off of Tyler Bay. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. um, Before we keep going and we have a bunch more words to get into, I want to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery. Um, My favorite beers. I'm going to be drinking a bunch of avalanches tonight at uh, the Avs game. Uh, probably going to be like shotgunning a bunch of beers because it's New Year's Eve and I can't afford to go out in Denver after the game. So I really have to have a bunch of fun during the game because I'm not going to pay like a $50 cover or whatever it costs. Um, Breckenridge Brewery is basically just the best beer. It really isn't that much more expensive than your like Coors Light, your Miller Light, your Bud Light, all those. But 
it's so much better beer. And I think that's my favorite part as a 22-year-old is just the value that you can get. Um, if, if you want to pick some up, go to Total Beverage. And if you use the code DNVR2019, you can get 30% off your purchase. It's a great deal. They'll deliver it to you. They'll uh, put it aside for you in like a box so that you can just walk in and pick it up. If you're going to be up to one of their locations in Westminster or Thornton anyway, Again, incredible deal. They're already incredible prices. Huge, huge warehouse-like liquor store with pretty much anything you could ask for. Um, definitely hit them up. Pick up some Breck Brews. Um, it's it's just too good of a value to not be taking advantage of. All right. Um, time now to move along with the rest of our awards. Um after McKinley Wright and Tyler Bay, you know, things kind of shift. Um, let's jump in with Evan Batty. What award did you give Evan Batty? Uh, so by the time I got to Evan Batty on my list, I had to get a little more creative, a little outside the box. So I gave him the big man award, um, okay. which and the reason I did that is because he is a little bit different style with Tyler Bay. While Tyler Bay dominates the boards and whatnot, Evan Batty has a physical presence in the post that I think is tremendously undervalued. And I think the only way that you would really see his impact is if he were to leave and then you see someone like Lucas Seward taking his spot. Evan Batty is, I mean, he's a big guy. And so what he lacks in athleticism, he really makes up for in playing dominating basketball. Now, with that comes a lot of fouls, and we've seen him foul out of games before, but he really has a strong balance. He makes 54.9% of his shots, and those shots that he's taking, again, with that high of a percentage, he's really just taking what the defense gives him. He's not really turning the ball over that much. He's not forcing up shots. He's averaging 9.7 points per game and 6.7 rebounds per game. That's really strong from someone who's not going to be your one and two guys like McKinley Wright and Tyler Bay. He is a strong role player. That's what he's supposed to be in this offense and defense, and he's cashed in on that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I struggled to come up with an award for him. Um, it was really tough. And when I was thinking about it, I kind of realized that he fits better as a guy who, like, six years from now, other guys are getting awards named after him. You know, like yeah. like somebody's going to be winning the Evan Batty Award down the road. And so then I just figured if that's going to be the case, might as well just give Evan Batty the Evan Batty Award right now. <laughs> because there's really no other way to define what he provides to this team other than to say that he is just him. Um, there really is no comparison that I can make in my mind. You know, obviously, like, you can you can try to like profile him. He's he's a big guy. He's not going to get pushed around. He plays in the paint. Like great touch around the rim. He's a great passer. Uh, defends well. Has like the heart. But then also like by just trying to define him as that, you miss out on so much of who he is. You know it, that Dayton game when he's lining up to take the free throws to try to ice the game at the end of the fourth quarter. He's standing at the free throw line smiling. Mm-hmm. Like like what a what a great attitude like personality um obviously the whole story he he broke his uh twitter moratorium he decided like during the season he wasn't going to be on twitter at all he doesn't want to see what anybody's saying about the basketball team about him he just wants to focus on playing the game i really like it uh there's no way in hell you could convince me to do it but uh 
he decided, I think it was Christmas Eve, to just like jump back on, remind everybody that it was the two-year anniversary of him being stroke and seizure-free, which is pretty crazy that he was going through that and then was able to continue with a college basketball career. He just provides so much to this team, obviously on the court. I think he's their third best player behind McKinley Wright and Tyler Bay, but also off the court, you know, with his personality being that positive guy in the locker room. Like you need that, especially with somebody like McKinley, who's hyper competitive, who can get pretty fired up. You know, you need an Evan Batty to kind of counter him. Um, and, and so much of what he provides, you don't get to see, I guess you kind of get to see it because he all obviously gets like the biggest cheers of anybody on this basketball team. Whenever he comes in, whenever he goes out, whenever he makes a play, like it seems like he gets a standing ovation for anything he does. And you really can't give him an award that sums all that up without just calling it the Evan Batty award. That was my thought process. I, I agree. I actually I love your thought process more than mine. It was a much more creative take. <laughs> and and kind of going along that, piggybacking off of your award, there's always a play in my head. And not like a specific play from a specific game, but it's whenever Evan Batty gets an and one. Exactly. No, I knew exactly yeah, where you were gonna go. And he winds and up he on the falls, floor. Yep, and he like pounds his fists on the floor and he's super excited and the crowd is cheering. It's like you can't quantify that with a stat or anything. And I mean, he's not shooting great from the free throw lines, but it doesn't even matter if he makes it. It's that high energy play, the play that gets the team route up that shows he's putting his body on the line and he's excited about it. He loves it. And everything he does, it just shows how much he loves playing the game of basketball. So your your award knocked it out of the park. Yeah, well, and one of the things I've realized in watching him and... Like I, I had people try to explain this whole thing to me before I started watching this basketball team. You know, this is the first season I've paid attention to Colorado basketball at all. And people say like, "Oh, everybody just loves Evan Batty." They'll talk about like the his like history, all that kind of stuff. But it's it is just so hard to explain what he is. Even even watching on TV, it's hard to get it. But you just feel his presence. Um, I was concerned, you know, he isn't a a huge guy. Like I know he's listed like 265 pounds or whatever, but he's only six foot eight and he's playing in the post. That's like big for sure. But going up against some of the best big man in the country, the seven footers, you know, he, he did have some trouble with Azubuki from Kansas, Mm -hmm. but overall he's pretty much been able to stand his ground against Anybody who lines up against him defensively, which is honestly really surprised me. Um, again, he likes to compare himself to Nikola Jokic, uh, which is a comparison I love for a bunch of reasons. Because so much of like the on-court stuff is the same. You know, with the the passing, the touch around the rim, the ability to just like finish. the The personality is very similar um, in a lot of ways, but also just being big, bulky guys who maybe don't have the shot blocking ability like the athleticism to make all the flashy plays but just he does not get pushed around on the block and that is such a great skill to have in college basketball where you know these these seven footers they aren't all that developed you know by the by the time you get like Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns in the NBA they're they're torching everybody like Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if they're seven feet from the basket they'll find a way to put the ball in 
college basketball, you don't have a lot of that. You know, those those seven footers, they rely on getting to the rim, like being up really close. And when they try to post up just outside the paint and Evan Batty doesn't let them gain any ground, that's as good a defense as being able to jump up and contest a shot. And that's something that I really didn't realize until I had a chance to actually watch a full season of Evan Batty playing basketball. And, and I think, too, when you talk about Azubuki in the Kansas game, I, there wasn't a whole lot of counters. I mean, when you get an athletic player like that, a player of that caliber, your goal really isn't to stop them. It's to try and slow them down. And we saw Tad Boyle try some things. Dallas Walton got some of the most minutes of the season in that game. But even though Dallas matches up with him height-wise, there wasn't a whole lot he could do because Kansas had that athleticism that could just get around him. Whereas where Evan Batty, like you said, he, he loses some of that in the height, but he is so strong down low that if people post him up, all that they end up doing is they have to take a bad turnaround jump shot that's from too far away, or they kick it back out around the outside the arc, and then you just kind of watch them reset. So he he does what he can. Um, Colorado doesn't have a lot of other options to counter that. So when they run into situations against a player like Azubuki, you see the defense falter because that's going to happen against anybody. But Batty plays just phenomenal for that height disadvantage. He he matches up with it with size for sure. And I love the way that he fits into this defense um, be, because you do have guys like Tyler Bay who can make the flash plays. He's, you know, almost as tall as Evan, but has the athleticism to play above the rim. You know, you have McKinley Wright, who's a little guy. And well, I mean, not compared to me, but compared to <laughs> compared to basketball players. Um, but he's just sticking to those guards outside and he can jump the passing lanes. And so you have these guys who are good defenders, but can also be plus players you know guys who can jump passing lanes can block shots all that kind of stuff like make those splash plays meanwhile Evan Batty just doesn't give any ground in the post so you try to feed the post all of a sudden like you said he has to kick it back out that's one more pass that can be picked off that runs whatever five seconds off the shot clock gets him closer to a bad shot gets the ball into the hands of somebody who's being guarded by a guy who can get a steal can bait somebody into making a bad decision you know he just fits as as an important piece of this defense I think Deshaun Schwartz um even though he doesn't really play in the post like he, he does this somewhere else he's more of just like a stopper than a real splashy defensive player but he also fits well and you see how this defense is kind of built off of uh, a combination of guys who are good, solid defenders who force the possession to continue and not let guys get shots up. But then you also have a couple guys who can take some risks, who can make some plays. And that's really what you need because if everybody's out there trying to jump passing lanes, then sure, you, you're starting a bunch of fast breaks, you're ending a bunch of turnovers or a bunch of possessions with turnovers. But at the same time, you're you're missing plays and guys are getting to the rim, getting easy shots because of it. I really like the balance that they have between guys who can jump and it starts with Evan Batty in the paint as somebody who can just fill in behind whatever mistakes are made outside. He's not going to let people get to the rim. He's just so big, so bulky. And sometimes just having that kind of size, even if it isn't height can change the way offenses are forced to play. Um, moving along, actually let's, let's, Talk about Evan just a tiny bit more, um, and then we'll have to really start to hurry. But what do you want to see Evan improve upon in the second half of the season? 
the first thing that jumps to mind is something that I don't know that we'll see, but I would love to see his free throw percentage bump up a little bit. Um, he's not the worst on the team by percentage in the stat book. That's because Maddox Daniels is currently shooting 25%, and that's because he only has four attempts. He's shooting 65% from the line, which isn't awful for a big man, but against Dayton, he had a chance to ice the game. And like you said, he was smiling. The problem is he just couldn't get it done. Yeah, exactly. And he went one for two. Right. And and so if he would if he makes that second shot, there's no Deshaun Schwartz buzzer beater, which, you know, it'd be a bummer to miss that play, but also you save a lot of time and you get out of there quickly, and that shot could have just as easily missed. And so I would love to see him get a little bit better at the line just to add another dimension to his game so that also you don't run into situations where, you know, come tournament time, they're not picking on Batty to go to the line. Because if if they are, then, you know, if he can only manage one for two, it can let a team get back in there. If the whole starting lineup is shooting at least 75%, who are you going to pick in that situation? So I'd love to see him get a little bit better at the free throw line. And also I'd love to see him rack up, you know, a little bit more in the assist category of because when you bounce it down to him and he backs up in the post, he draws a lot of attention, and I think if sometimes he can work a little bit better to keep his eyes up, we can get some open jump shots off of it. But, I mean, overall, he's having a great, solid season from that. So if he can just improve in a couple little you know, ticky-tacky areas, I think it'll do wonders for Colorado. Yeah, I agree. I think free throws is where I want to go as well. Um, you know, before the Prairie View game, he really worked on his free throw shooting. That was kind of like the key point. Um Tad Boyle said that uh, after the Colorado State game, I believe, when he pulled Evan Batty out because he didn't want Evan shooting free throws, um, maybe that was UNI. It was after one of those games. Uh, Tad went up to Evan. I think it was CSU because it was on a bus. Um, but but he said, uh, Evan, I'm not taking you out in these situations anymore. You just have to make the free throws. And Evan went to work, um, really started focusing more on that part of his game. And then against Prairie View, the next time out, he went 10 of 11 from the free throw line. Um, Five of six against Dayton. The one miss is a notable one. Then four of six against Iona. Really hoping that this is the start of a turn for him. Because up until that point, I I think that he had... He'd, he'd made 50% or fewer of his free throws in 60% of the games up to that point. So 40% of the time, he was shooting better than 50% from the line. You just can't afford for that to happen. And so for him to come out and have three straight solid outings, even though, I mean, the one free throw we're all going to remember is the one that could have ended the game against Dayton. I think that that means that he's getting ready to turn a corner here. And he really does need to. Um, because that's the last piece, you know, he's, he's a guy who can draw a bunch of fouls. He plays a a kind of an old man type of game, you know, just that, that touch around the rim. Um, and you forget that he's only a sophomore. He's got some time to improve, but if he can just learn how to draw a couple more fouls, get guys to hit him on the arm, you know, he, he just has such a great feel. He can get guys up in the air. Um, and we've seen it, you know, he does draw a bunch of fouls and he does convert a bunch of, uh, like, like he, he, he turns them into and once he's able to finish the play off. I agree. Free throws is where I also want to go as where you just need to see him take a little step forward. And the good news too, with Batty is he's never been one to shy away from work. I mean, you see that, especially with him bouncing back from the stroke, you know, two, three years ago. So 
With that being said, free throws are one aspect of your game where it's just a grind. I mean, every anybody, and you know, including myself, anybody who's played basketball knows that free throws are something where you just need to put in headphones and just you just got to do it. You know, it's it's one of those things where it just gets better with time. So if if Batty's willing to do so, which I believe he will, you know, we'll just keep seeing that free throw number keep to go up and, and improve on the last three games. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Shane Gatling, what do you have for him? I, I have him as kind of what you called your future MVP award. I have him as most likely, uh, most likely conference breakout player. And here's oh, here's okay. why. I love Shane Gatling. I think he plays with such a quickness that I, I think it can be really deadly because he's coming off the bench. Now, his shooting percentage isn't as high as I think a lot of people would like to see, including the coaching staff, which is you know, perhaps why he might not necessarily be in the starting lineup. And the three-point percentage as well. Yes. And so with that being said, we did see against Colorado State, uh, he carried that team. And I think that that's why I put him as most likely to break out because McKinley Wright, Tyler Bay, they're going to have pretty consistent outputs. You know, they might have one or two big breakout games, but I think Gatling is one of those guys where he's not in the starting lineup, but more often than not, when you're in the final two minutes and you look at the Buffs lineup, Gatling's the one out there because he's a strong shooter. He's very good from the free throw line, so he does, you don't have to worry about that aspect of the game, especially late. And he just has a magic about him sometimes. Now, again, need to see the field goal percentage, in particular the three-point percentage bump up, because that's what he's supposed to be known for. But I wouldn't be surprised if you see three, four games where Gatling drops 20 points, and that's the reason they beat number four-ranked Oregon, or they travel on the road and sweep L.A. because Gatling goes off for a road trip. I think he is going to play a big part in it. I like that. Uh, I gave Shane Gatling the really good basketball player but not a point guard award. (laughs) (laughs) Because what I've really taken away from the season is that he – he fits a role well, and it seems like because of the way he plays, because he can get to the rim, because he can shoot, because you know, at at six foot two, he isn't a big guy. He seems like he should be able to play a point guard, but he just doesn't quite have the distributing instincts like point guards have to have. Um, as the secondary ball handler, I don't love it. But as a guy who can go get a bucket, as a guy who can go off from the two spot, I really like his game. A lot like you said, like he is a guy who can go off. What I want to see is not just seeing like a couple of 20-point nights from him. I want to see him just three out of five games, or three out of four games. Let's, let's call it 70% of the time, I guess. Um, I want to see him shoot 40% from three because we just have not seen him do that all that much. You know, he he only has two games where he's made multiple three-pointers, which is crazy because he should be knocking uh, so many of those down. Um, I agree that he can be a guy who can go off, a guy who can, like, carry you through a road trip for sure, but when he isn't doing that, that's when I want to see just a little bit more from him. Yeah, he's just not right now. He's not a player that can necessarily be counted on. Um, he's he's very he's a streaky shooter. I mean, when he's hot, he's hot. But when he's cold, he's cold. And the problem with that is, it's really hard to break a cold spell when you're a player like Shane Gatling because his idea to break a cold spell is 
you know, chuck up a, a three, a catch and shoot ball and see if it goes in. And if it does, great. But if it doesn't, that's when you see that percentage continue to drop. So if he can get, you know, into the game, into the rhythm of the game earlier, I think it could help him out. I, I'm, I gotta be honest. I still don't understand why he hasn't cracked the starting lineup in that aspect. I don't know if it's because he just, he's better off the bench, but I would love to see, you know, maybe a switch at some point to see maybe if he needs to start the game off. But if he can get a little bit of consistency, it would do wonders for, you know, just Colorado having that bench presence. Yeah, I like that. I think I think it would be good to see it. And we got to see it last year. He was part of that group that led the team on the late run. I think that that's a change that we'll see at some point, And I think it's a change that's going to stick. Um because at some point this rotation is going to get cut down, and we kind of saw that against Dayton uh, when Eli Parquet only played five minutes, I think, as a starter, and Shane got most of those minutes. He ended up playing right. 30 in that game, the most he's played all season. I think that as this rotation gets cut down to eight guys, seven guys, whatever it ends up being, he does join the starting lineup, and because throughout the game uh, you you're always going to have at least two or three starters on the floor. You don't necessarily have to worry about how your bench unit is comprised because there isn't a true bench unit. It's not like you're going 10 deep and all of a sudden it's like the hockey line change, um, Mm -hmm. something that a lot of NBA teams have started to do. Maybe not just a straight-up line change, but you have your... You have your starting point guard who plays, your backup point guard who plays, and it's like that all the way through all five spots, and that's your 10-man rotation. And so all of a sudden, you need to put together this bench unit in a way that makes sense, just like you need a starting unit that makes sense, guys who can play together. Um, Shane definitely fits that off-the-bench bucket-getter role. Uh, I think that that's kind of been morphed into that point guard role, um, asking him to distribute when he isn't going to the basket just seems like a bad plan to me. But as soon as this rotation slims down to the point where it it really is just a rotation and not looking at it like a starting unit and a bench unit when there's seven guys and he's going to be out there with the bench a lot of the time, the two, three bench guys who are out there, that's when we're going to see him play more with this or, or actually just starting games. I think mm-hmm. that'd be my expectation. Um, yeah, I think we pretty much covered what we want to see him improve upon uh, in that conversation. Um, basically, have a couple nights where you score a bunch of buckets and also become just a little bit more consistent as a three-point shooter. Um, all right, um, let's move along to Deshaun Schwartz. I uh, gave Deshaun Schwartz the most improved player award. Um, this I one like again it. is a yeah. I I just. He has done one thing this year that I think is kind of undervalued when you analyze the team as the whole. Last season, he was shooting 31% from three. This season, he's bumped that up to 46%. That is an insane jump in the three-point percentage in just one season. He's getting a lot more looks, uh, which has helped. Um, Last year, he shot 131 threes. Right now, he's already at 54, and that's not including the Iowa game uh, and the stats that I have pulled up. So he's really done well from behind the arc that gives this offense a different aspect that it desperately needed. Because coming into the season, the story was Tad Boyle really wanted to emphasize three-point shooting, wanted to bump that up. And realistically, from the starting unit, we haven't seen that as much 
except when it comes to Deshaun Schwartz from that starting five. He has been absolutely incredible. And the other thing with Schwartz is he, with that ability to shoot from deep, it just emphasizes his original part of the game, which is he's a strong guy around the basket. And you see a lot of dribble drive moves where he can be on the outside and teams have to cover him because he's a legitimate, consistent threat. And he's able to dribble around and get a good look at the basket. Yeah. Yeah. I I bounced around a bunch of different awards. Some of them focused on like three-point shooting because that really is what he's providing that nobody else has been able to consistently um, I've I thought about just calling him my favorite player because uh, he seems like a good favorite player, you know, because he isn't one of like the mainstream guys. Kind of like with the Broncos, you wouldn't like Von Miller jerseys are cool, but a lot of people are gonna have them. Um, right. Peyton Manning, you know, same thing. Sean Schwartz, though, a little bit under the radar. Um, considered that, but then I just decided that I just wanted to give him all of the other awards. It's like everything that we don't give out, I just think that Deshaun Schwartz deserves because, again, very important contributor to this team because you trust him to make three-pointers, which, you know, I I think maybe we were a little bit too optimistic going into the season about what to expect from this team. Um, You know, we heard that Maddox Daniels could be... uh, part of the answer to the three-point shooting problem that the Buffs had last year. Turns out he isn't shooting all that well. You know, is it Eli Parquet? Can Shane Gatling finally become a consistent shooter? Um, McKinley Wright, you know, Tyler Bay is starting to shoot some threes. But throughout this whole process, we've kind of seen that none of these guys are stepping up in the way that we expected, except for Deshaun Schwartz. And they need it. And we've seen recently in these last few games just how important that is you know I I talked about the shooting 50% or worse was that from that was from the free throw line uh, for Evan Batty meanwhile you look through to Sean Schwartz last game out he was four of six before that five of seven three of seven two of four one of two oh seven against Kansas not good he was kind of chucking um, but then you have four of seven, two of five, one of three, two of four, two of three, three of five. So many games where he's at or above 50% from three. Uh, he's just an incredible threat. He he fits well on the wing with this team. I've said before on this podcast that, you know, I could see him being a guy who, if he improves a little bit defensively, keeps the three-point percentage where it is, he could be a guy who gets a look in the NBA. Um he definitely isn't a favorite, I don't think, to get there. But at the same time, he just fits modern basketball so well where you need knockdown three and D guys. Um, I've been so impressed with him. I've been so I, impressed with him. Um, yeah, I agree. And and I think the other thing with uh, Schwartz that I love is that, you know, take the end of that Dayton game, for example, when uh, McKinley tosses it into the post to Bay, Bay kicks it out, and Schwartz has a wide open three. If you, you know it's going choose, in. Yeah, and, and, and it, but the thing that I love is that if you had to choose a player on the on the floor to take that shot, I honestly don't know if I would say Schwartz just because I'm like, you know what? It's McKinley Wright's game. Let's let him have it. He is such an under-the-radar guy with that kind of stuff, huh. and that's why you saw as soon as that ball went to the post, Schwartz's man 
completely left. You saw a lot of the other guys on defense still cover their positions a little bit, but you saw Schwartz's man completely leave the post, and that's what opened or uh, his post, and that's what opened up the game for him. He flies under the radar. He's tremendously undervalued from uh, not necessarily a national standpoint, but from a conference standpoint, and I think that's going to serve to benefit him moving forward. I, I totally agree. Um, he's he, he just fits. And more than anything, that's what's important is having a bunch of guys who all fit together. You know, you have Evan Batty who can do all the things he can do in the post. You have McKinley Wright who can be, you know, the leader of the offense. He can be your ball handler. He'll distribute. He'll get to the rim. Tyler Bay is a freak. You put him in the right situations. He's going to be one of the most dominant players in college basketball. And then you have Deshaun Schwartz, who spaces the floor with six foot seven, is knocking down this many threes, and that's not all he does. You know, he can get to the rim too. Like he he has some diversity to his game, and that helps him open things up. The way all these pieces fit together, I I just I I just love it, especially seeing these last few games how it's all come together. Uh, you know, obviously they put up ninety nine against Iona, but before that. You have the win over Dayton, and then the game against Prairie View, where I really think things changed. Even though Prairie View, again, that's that's a team. Let's see, they they won by nineteen, I think, and the line was at nineteen and a half. So they kind of did what they were supposed to do. At the same time, the offense was moving and clicking in a way that we haven't seen. They carried that into Dayton. They've carried it into Iona, and now you're going into conference play. I think with some sort of offensive identity which is really what you want to see. And Deshaun Schwartz is a huge piece of that. Mm-hmm. Um, with Deshaun, is there anything that you want to see him improve upon in conference play? Uh, honestly, I don't think it comes down to Deshaun. I would love to see the coaching staff get him some more looks. And and sometimes that's kind of tough with a three um, on the wing. It's hard to kind of scheme a lot of him open as opposed to getting stuff into the post with Bay. But mm-hmm. he's he's done everything he's been asked of and then some. So, I mean, obviously – you can say with everybody on the team, you know, maybe shoot a little bit better or whatnot. But with Deshaun Schwartz, I mean, there's not a whole lot more you could ask of him. Shooting better from three than from the field total is incredible. It's something that you hardly yeah. see. It's pretty so crazy. He, yeah, he just he does so much. Even his free throws, seventy three percent from there. There's not a whole lot of more room to improve there. I, he just needs to keep doing what he's doing, and I think that honestly could be most important because if we see Schwartz fall off and I'm not even talking about falling off a cliff but if we see that percentage go from 46 percent down to you know low 30s you're seeing a different aspect you're going to see some games that are a lot closer than they would have been in the past so I mean it's kind of unrealistic to expect a guy to shoot almost 50 percent from deep for the rest of the season but if he can stay right around that 38 to 42 percent range from deep Keep that throughout all of conference play. I think it's perfect. Again, he's one of those guys who's a role player, so you're not necessarily expecting him to be the one to drop 30 and win a game. He needs to be the guy that's dropping 12 with six rebounds and a couple assists. The stats that don't necessarily jump off the page, but they're the ones that when you really analyze the game from a high-level perspective, he makes a couple plays that actually do make a a huge difference. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think for me... Uh, maintaining the three-point percentage definitely right up there that's what he brings that nobody else brings like you said if if you keep that in the low 40s you're in a good spot I really do think that a couple more guys are going to see their three-point percentage jump up 
at least a little bit in the second half of the season. Uh, I don't think most of the team is shooting as well as they probably should be. Um, with Deshaun, I want to see him improve defensively. Like I said, I, I like him as a defender. Um, start making just a couple more plays. If you, if you can get, you know, uh, close to a steal per game, something like that, then all of a sudden he's, you know, an advanced stats monster, and you need one or two of those. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't buy into, like, the, you know, I guess in the NBA they have, like, the PER, or like, the on-off. You know, there's something to it. I don't want to put too much stock into that kind of stuff, but having a guy on your team who is that kind of, like, advanced stats monster, having the the crazy efficiency having the 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 defensive production as well as not missing missing too many shots not ending possessions with turnovers with whatever you know you need some of that on your team i don't necessarily think that has to be your stars but just having a guy who you know can consistently contribute on both ends of the floor um a guy you don't have to worry about when you do try to figure out who are your seven or eight guys when you get into the tournament I just want to see him hold on to that spot. Never let us doubt that he should be a part of this rotation, um, which which could happen quickly. Knowing what I now know about Buffs fans, if he does have a, a few bad shooting games in a row, things could get ugly. I just don't want to see that. If you have a bad shooting game, bounce back, pick things up a little bit defensively, and he's going to be in a great spot. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, let's move along to uh, Lucas Seward. That's a fun one. What'd I, you give him? I've been really impressed with Seward so far this year, so I'm giving him my six-man award. He, okay. Yeah, he and, and it was kind of between him and Gatling because when I think six-man, you think Jamal Crawford from the NBA who's kind of like a, a lanky guy. He's going to come in. He's going to shoot well. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily think of a bigger guy immediately, but with Seward... He's just he's done really well with the opportunities that have been given to him. And I think that's kind of all you can ask of a guy off the bench. And with that being said, he's shooting 41% from three, which is another like great underrated stat because it also includes a lot of volume. 18 of 44 is something that, I mean, he's shooting almost the most, the, the third amount of threes on the team with the second best percentage right behind Deshaun Schwartz. So he's one of those guys that can come in and it also is interesting because when they have Seward on the floor, it changes their kind of uh, offensive identity because he's either going in place of Evan Batty or Tyler Bay. And with Bay and Batty, they really control the post, but you don't see them stretching the floor out quite like Seward does. And so when you sub in Seward at the four, you move Batty down to the, or um, Bay to the five, you see. Um, opposing defensive has to completely adjust for one guy coming in on the rotation. And that one guy is coming off your bench. It's pretty impressive that he's able to change that whole dynamic and be incredibly efficient, averaging 7.3 points per game. I mean, he's averaging the most of anyone who's not a starter. I think six man is, is kind of the place I went to first because he just has great impact, but he's a guy that's not really going to crack the starting lineup just because of who you have in front of him. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Um, I gave him the Oh Really Award um, because <laughs> I, I've said that a lot of times when watching him this year. Um, you know, he, he had that rough first outing against ASU. And looking back, he, he still shot close to 45%. 
but defensively I thought that there were some problems and I was just like huh interesting that he's a part of this rotation early on again not knowing all that much about this team I, I thought that maybe those were the minutes that would end up going to Dallas Walton and then I got to see him play more and really see what he can provide and I, uh, he's another guy whose game I've really just fallen in love with you know that stretch four every team needs one of those and he does that job so well and you know I, I've just kind of been growing on him and growing on him he keeps doing different things whether it's like you know he bounces back from the Arizona State game where I'm like oh okay he's 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 a basketball player uh he's a guy who you don't not like having out there, but not necessarily a guy you get too excited about either. Then he comes back against San Diego and makes three of five threes, and I was like, oh boy, really? So many of those moments, obviously the big one being against Northern Iowa when he goes five right. of seven from three, scores, was it 15 straight points for the Buffs? Yep. Might have been. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, in, it's insane. Puts up 21 points, and I didn't realize that that was something that he had in him. Um, defensively, Better than I expected, for sure, especially based on that first performance. Um, would like to see him be a little bit more of a factor on the boards. Um, that ne- isn't necessarily his strength. He's more of a finesse-type guy, I guess, and so that's kind of what you'd expect to see. You know, was it 4.7 rebounds per game? It's not bad. If, if, if he becomes like a, you know, a Kevin Love type, you know, uh, gets the boards, gets uh, knocks down some threes. That is the role that I think he fits really well. And again, like more than anything, the, the my takeaway is he just keeps growing on me and growing on me. And kind of like Deshaun Schwartz, he just does a lot of things that you need somebody to do on a basketball team, like stretch the floor, knock down threes. Not necessarily a bad rebounder, not bad defensively. Um, He's, he's a plus player in a couple of ways. And again, if he can just grab a couple more boards, um, maybe have a couple more on shooting nights and a couple fewer off shooting nights. Again, though, he's six foot ten and he's shooting, what, 42% from three, something like that? Yeah. I mean, kinda, there's not much more you can ask from him. Ex- exactly. He's kind of just doing what he needs to do. Um, anything yeah. you want to see him improve upon? Um. Well, I mean, first and foremost, Colorado is going to miss him when he graduates because of what you talked about. And so with that being said, I think when you look back at that Northern Iowa game, I I think the team did him a disservice by waiting as long as they did to get him back out in the second half. He had a lights out first half, and I think he should have come out starting on the second half because, I mean, you just need to ride the hot hand in a game like that that was a shootout. So I think... When you're looking at him moving forward in a conference play, you just, again, like you said, you want to see him be able to control the boards a little bit more because that has to be his biggest downside. Yes, he's not the best defender, but realistically, if he can just, I mean, he's six foot ten. If he can just be in the way, his defense will be good enough as long as he can turn around, box out, and get the rebounds. So if he can improve on that, I think he can see a few more minutes. And like you said, when you get into the the heart of conference play, you're going to see this rotation get down to the, your starting five and then one, two, maybe three key guys coming off the bench. Lucas Seward is going to be one of those first guys because 
He gives the front court a rotation with Bay and Batty, gives them a chance to get a breather, and gives them a lot of a a different dynamic look. So I would love to see him improve on the rebounds, uh, just become a little bit more solid in the post. So where to to the point where you're not worried when he's out there while Batty is on the bench. Because I think my biggest concern is not Evan Batty and Tyler Bay needing breathers. I think in particular with Batty, them getting into foul trouble. And their only key guy off the bench that they can turn to is Seawork because we really have not seen anything from Dallas Walton this season that points to him having any bigger of an impact come conference play. I really don't know if they're just kind of giving him this year and then going to you know turn back to him next season. I'm not sure what's going on with that situation, but when you have one big off the bench and it's Lucas Seawork, you really just need him to be a strong, solid presence because if Batty fouls out quickly into a second half, which has happened before and I could see it happening again, you you want to not be totally concerned that your whole defense is blown because your big man has to sit out and now you have to turn to Lucas Seawork. Yeah, I think that those are definitely good points. Um, I, I also like the idea of not just using him out of necessity, but also understanding matchups and understanding that there are games when, you know, a stretch four might be exactly what you need. Pull another big guy out of the paint. You know, you're going up against a team that has two bulky seven footers or something that don't move well. You know, maybe pull a couple minutes away from Tyler Bay or Evan Batty, as, as crazy as that sounds, and give them to Lucas Seawert and force them to defend outside. You know, clear out some space for your drivers. I think that, you know, again, he fits a role. He fits something that every team needs, and that's the ability to still have size and rebounding ability defensively, but also, you know, be able to f- stretch the floor. You know, make make a big guy play like a small guy. That's a chess piece that Tad Boyle has, and I would like to see him use it more. Give him that change of pace. Uh, uh, I agree that he's definitely going to be a part of this late rotation. You know, if, if you're looking at... I, I do think that the starting lineup, once you get into the tournaments, will be McKinley Wright, uh, Shane Gatling, Deshaun Schwartz, Tyler Bay, and Evan Batty. And then off the bench, you have Lucas Seward. And outside of him, I think that the other, let's call it two spots, are still very much up for grabs. You know, mm-hmm. could be Dalen Koontz. Um, it it could be Eli Parquet. Um, I don't think that it's Dallas Walton. I I have to say that Parquet and Koontz are probably the favorites with Maddox Daniels right behind them. Um, but yes, Lucas Seward is a lock, and I think that that sixth man spot really is just his at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, before we get into the end of these, and we're going a little bit long. Um, I want to tell you guys about Green Mountain Dental Group. As you may or may not know, taking care of your teeth is pretty important. Our friends at Green Mountain Dental Group are giving away a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. That's right. You simply have to take care of your teeth for Green Mountain Dental uh, to hand over a free Sonicare. Check them out today, online, or you can call them at 303 988 0711 to schedule your appointment today. Okay, um, back in, I think this is where we kind of started to uh, have some differences. Um, I want to talk about some big picture stuff, but before we get into that, 
are there any other awards that you want to hand out? Well, I some of the players that are still getting significant minutes did not necessarily have enough on them that I felt, you know, signified a big enough award. But I do want to highlight Dalen Coons, and that's because okay. I gave him the bounce back player award. So he came into the season, he started the first five games, and he had a lot of upside, but he struggled a lot early on. He was shooting 18% on the floor in the first six games. And then, I mean, you know, that just that production was not good enough to maintain him in the starting lineup. So he was benched in favor of um, Eli Parquet. But we've seen him double that shooting percentage up into the 30s since then. It's still not great. It's not where you want it to be. But I'm not sure if he was just rushed into the starting lineup and forced up too many shots or if he was just cold to start the year. But I was impressed with how he's came back, and he really balanced more on his or relied more on his athleticism and into the post, which is really what made him a strong guard last season was his ability to get up for some nice highlight dunks and, and be an athletic defender. So I think it took him being benched to kind of get back to his roots. And now that he's done so, we've seen him put together a couple very nice games in a row. I don't see him getting back into the starting lineup. I think that's too realistic at this point. I agree with you that Gatling, I think, is going to take that two spot going into the deep tournament run. Uh, but I think Koontz is going to be one of those guys that locks up that um, kind of rotational spot uh, for two reasons. One, they don't have a lot more outside of that starting five and Lucas Seward. But also, two, he does give a refreshing break in case they need someone to handle the ball for McKinley Wright to take a couple minutes. He's not an ideal point guard, like you said, with Gatling, but he still gives a little bit of a break. He provides enough to where he is still an asset to the team. And again, I give him bounce back because although he had a very rough start, as rough as a start can really be for a, a first-time starter in the second year, but I mean, I, I've been impressed with how he's bounced back and become a good role player once again. Yeah, I think so. I think that a lot of that makes a lot of sense. You know, my question through the first part of the season was, why is Dalen Koontz out there? Um, why is he starting? And, you know, what I kind of settled on was that the thought process was Shane Gatling is probably the better player at that position, but we want him coming off the bench. You know, I didn't really think it was because Dalen Kuntz was the best option as a starting two. I thought it was because of how they wanted to piece things together. Um, as we've seen this offense kind of stumble through the first half of the season, I think it's pretty clear that they need just a little bit more juice up there. They do need a guy like Shane Gatling. And I guess with these last couple of games, they've started to turn things around, and I'm excited. And I like all the pieces that they've put in place. Um, I do think eventually it does become Shane Gatling's job. But I don't think that Dalen was really ready for that spot. Um, and I do think that coming off the bench might suit him a little bit better at this point in his career. I think you made a bunch of good points there. Um, like you said starting to look better um his outlook for the future very good um i like that you're calling the bounce back um i'm just really not sure what to expect from him going forward you know i the odds are either he figures it out or maddox daniels figures it out or eli parquet takes a step um i just really don't know which one it's going to be <laughs> I, I think it's I, I think it's anybody's guess at this point because there's there's so much there's four guys going for that 
two spot right now. It's Gatling, Koontz, Daniels, and, and Parquet. And the interesting thing is, throughout the first 13 games, you saw Koontz start five, and you saw Eli Parquet start the last seven games, yet he is last in the rotation for every game that he's started. And, it, and it's just so fascinating that they put him out there for the first couple minutes, and then they'll rotate him out real quick. And then you really don't see him get back out there, not even necessarily to start the second half. And it, it's just fascinating. I think you make a good point that you they may want Gatling to be the guy that's coming off the bench because you know maybe Parquet is not going to scare anybody, but they think, oh, well, if we have Gatling come off in reserve, it'll make the defense you know adjust a little bit. I'm not quite sure what the thought process is, but it's kind of like you have a starting lineup with four guys that you love, and then you just need to play the hot hand. So I've really, I think it's possible that you see perhaps a different starter for a first for the, for some of the first four games. You might even see four of these guys break free, not necessarily as a starter, but also leading the team in minutes at that spot until they can feel actually confident in one of these guys. Because I think they love what Gatling brings to the table. I also think that Coach Tad Boyle wants to see some of these younger guys step up, and that's why they're being presented with some of these opportunities, and they might not just have been able to take them yet. Who do you want it to be? You know, in terms of what's best for the Buffs, um, which one of these guys stepping up would be the best? I think it's got to be Gatling because of the upside potential, because he has that ability to take over. I think the downside on Gatling is he's either going to be 7 of 8 or 1 of 8. And you just yep. need to hope that you get more of the sevens than the ones. If you want a guy that's just going to be in there and be a consistent role player, I think that's why Eli Parquet has been getting the starts that he has is because you know he's going to be a solid piece, but Parquet hasn't in his career. And granted, that he's only a sophomore. This is only a second year. But thus far, he's never really been a guy that jumps off the stat sheet. He's a very you know mild shooter from deep and, the, and from the floor. He doesn't necessarily bring one thing specific to the table. I th- I think it would be wonderful if Maddox Daniels could get his his shot in rhythm because that was his narrative coming in, was he was going to be the guy to lead this team in the three-point percentage. That's but what I was I, thinking too because, you know, for me, it's, it's when you cut it down to these eight guys, if Maddox Daniels can be one of those eight, again, he fits a role. Most of the time you're going to have I mean, at least one of McKinley Wright or... Uh, Tyler Bay or Evan Batty on the floor, like guys that you're pretty comfortable with as kind of your number one option. And if you can have Maddox Daniels come in and give you 12 minutes as just a 3 and D guy, I think that that's huge in the tournament. Right. And and you're not going to see a team that has five guys that they absolutely love unless it's NBA All-Star Weekend. And so that's the, that's the thing that they need to find is just Find a guy that's comfortable with doing what the offense dictates. And kind of like what I talked about with McKinley Wright as he plays his game depending on what the team needs from him. I think the thing that might scare the coaching staff about Shane Gatling is he's not afraid to pull the trigger. And if you're playing a tight game where he's not on, he's not going to be afraid of that, which personally, I love that mindset. He believes that every shot he chucks up is going to go in. And I think there is something strong to that. A guy that has that much confidence in his abilities, but you run into problems against closer teams where if you had a guy like, let's say Eli Parquet goes one for two from the field. Well, that's not that much of an impact, but that means he's also not taking away opportunities from other players. And so I think it, I think it really depends. I would love to see Gatling take that role because he, he has experience. He's been in those situations before 
But I, I just, I really want to see him get that consistency. If he can figure out his stroke, hands down, put him in, lock down the starting five with Lucas Seward rotating in in the front court, you're good to go. But if you, if, if you know, Eli Parquet or something can show that they're more steady presence, you got to think Tad Boyle being the defensive, kind of more conservative coach that he is, he's going to choose the higher floor than the higher ceiling. And so I, I think it depends on what we see from him. I think the month of January is going to be very important. Yeah, yeah, I, I think a lot of that makes sense. Um, we're coming up on an hour and 15 minutes here, <laughs> so we should probably get out. But before we do, um, where do you stand on this basketball team right now? You know, I, I think early on everybody was really excited. Then we saw some less than stellar offensive performances from this basketball team. Um, can you do it in one word? What's the one word that describes your feelings for this team right now? Optimistic. Okay, good. And, and, and I say that because it's easy to fall down on a team, uh, because they had like those stretches where they're picking up wins, but they weren't good wins. Uh, and then you see them falter against Kansas. You lose the game you really wanted to have against Northern Iowa. But overall, I, I think this team went from, being underrated in a bad way to start the year because they had a lot of hype in the offseason, but they still weren't you know, ranked when we started, to now they're underrated in a good way because I think teams are now not as confident in Colorado as they once were, and I like that going into a matchup against Oregon. This team, I am confident that they've figured it out, and I also think that people are overlooking how good Colorado's two losses are. Kansas is going to be a perennial yep. top-five program. And that, that's just something that you put that on the schedule because you wanted to beef up your non-con play. Northern Iowa is a team that is incredibly underrated. They put together, I believe they're 11-2 and two right now as well. They're playing some really great basketball, and they have some incredible shooters there. So I don't think people quite understand that. I think I like to think of a basketball team as when you're looking on Selection Sunday, they pull up the team, they pull up the record, and then they say good losses, and they say bad, or I'm sorry, good wins and bad losses. And I think if Colorado enters conference play and their only two losses are against Kansas and Northern Iowa— I don't think those are necessarily bad losses. I don't think those are going to be the ones the selection committee looks at and says that puts them against, you know, that puts them lower than another team because those are two good teams. Where you see them slip up is when they start to play bad against a bad Pac-12 competition, and those are the teams that will stack up. But I still think they're in a great spot, 11-2. and two. You, you'll love where you're at because you, the losses give you a good chance to grow. And they also are on a nice upswing against Dayton and Iona. They put together two very solid wins. And you just got to ride the hot hand. And, you know, if they're looking up and they're trending up right now, that's all basketball is about is who's playing good when it matters. Exactly. And that's what makes me so excited for this team is that we'll really see them. We're, we're seeing them just develop. And, and they're starting to cut down the turnovers. They're starting to form this offensive identity through these last few games and I really think that they're going to keep building and building all the way through the Pac-12 tournament and I think that they're going to be a team that a lot of maybe maybe they wind up as a six seed a seven seed you know and that's not quite what you want out of the season you want them to be in that four spot maybe five spot even would be very good um but I, I still do think that they might drop a couple of games they shouldn't, and it's going to be because they aren't a completed product yet. But when they do get to the tournament, 
I think that there'll be a maybe a hot upset pick just because people who have paid attention will see this journey that they're taking. You know, it's it's not the same team that it has been, you know, a week ago, two weeks ago, uh, months ago. And I think that that trend is going to kind of continue where they keep shifting. And when you're trying to really build a chemistry to, to play complementary basketball where you're passing the ball a lot, you're working an offensive system, um, everybody's clicking together, gelling together, fitting into their roles more than just trying to score a bunch of points that's the kind of offense that I think can find some real success in the tournament. And it also just takes a while to get there. And so that's why I'm not too concerned about it at this point, especially because we're starting to see it gel a little bit more than we did early on. Um, should probably head out now because this is a long one. Uh, <laughs> but Ben, will you be back on Friday for at least a couple minutes to talk about the Oregon game? Absolutely. I'm excited for it. I'm hoping that it will be a an optimistic tone on Friday. It's a huge matchup. Oregon has not won in Boulder since Colorado joined the Pac-12. So it's I'm incredible. hoping that trend can continue. I, I, My plea to all the listeners out there, since I'm stuck in Ohio, it's cloudy, it's rainy, I'm not going to be able to make it out to the game. If there is any part of you that is mildly interested in this game, I highly encourage you to get out there because that atmosphere is going to matter. It's great that Colorado can open conference play at home. I just wish the schedule pushed it back a little bit so they could get the students there. So I'm not sure they're going to have that same support. So I hope uh, you know people can go out, show out, and I'm hoping it's going to be a good win. Yep, I'm excited. Again, that game's Thursday night in Boulder. Um, I'll be back here with another show tomorrow, Wednesday. Uh, Dre and I will be doing the draft pod Thursday morning before I go out to Boulder for the ducks game and then we'll talk about that on friday with ben uh that's kind of the plan for the week i'll talk to you guys tomorrow uh see you then See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hey, hey. you on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it.
revival. Get them thugs, get them boss, mess them up, we say we got them. If we don't, then we'll get them. When we see them, then we have them. like my Colorado swag, cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly, get a boss with my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. Man, I swear, I think they like my Colorado swag. I think they like my Colorado swag, cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly, get a boss with my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag I think they like, I think they like My Colorado swag My Colorado swag My Colorado swag Man, I swear I think they like my Colorado swag